At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What it do, baby? It's the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. Back with episode, what is this, 23, I think? We're pumping them out these days. Corona's, uh, that's one benefit of Corona is getting to put some good podcast time in. Today's episode I'm super pumped about. I say that about every, show, every, every episode, really, but this one, uh, the woman I got to speak with on this episode is amazing and inspiring and uh, seems to be a once in a generation type person. I met her through Joel McHale, really. He introduced me to her. Kate Bowler is on the Preachers and Seekers podcast today. This woman has such an interesting life. She wrote the foremost history of the prosperity gospel in her book called Blessed. She's also written two other books and is working on a fourth book. She has a podcast. She speaks all over the world and she has an incredible story. So, she was kind enough to spend some time with me, an idiot, and uh, tell me some of her story as well as talk about some of her philosophy about why or why not bad things happen to seemingly good people. And um, if you stick around long enough, you might hear me get emotional at some points because uh, the stuff we talk about is really powerful. Nothing from what I said, but some of the things she said and just the whole world she deals with. Uh, is so powerful and has so much life. Um, so I think you'll get a lot out of it. It's it's going to be a little different tone than some of my other podcast interviews, but uh, she's outstanding. And if you haven't uh, read her book, Blessed, you should. I mean, it goes back to like late 19th century origins of the prosperity gospel all the way to today. So uh, very relevant to the content that I have on my account. So uh, sit back and relax. It's, I think it's about an hour long interview. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a rating, leave a review. Uh, check me out on preachersandseekers.com as well as Instagram. Even though, you know, we're in kind of a content drought, really, in Instagram because everyone is preaching via Zoom and no one goes to conferences and no one's really out in public at all wearing shoes. And so. Uh, I hope the the podcast at least is some semblance of content for you to maybe take your mind off some of the hard things that are going on in the world. So stick with me. I appreciate you listening. And now to my conversation with my friend, Kate Bowler. I'm talking with Kate Bowler, who I, uh, since the start of this account, has been one of the top people that I've wanted to get on the podcast because she is the foremost authority on the prosperity gospel. She's a professor, an author, a podcaster, and a full-time homeschool teacher, from what I hear (laughs) this year. Um, Kate, thanks so much for spending the time with me. I know this is kind of a random, weird thing, but I really appreciate you carving out some time for me today. No, I'm so glad. I remember the first time I saw the Preachers and Seekers account, and my heart heart rejoiced. Oh, did it? (laughs) It did. It really did. It it goes multiple ways for different types of people, depending... My heart was thrilled. Uh, I'm not a great interpreter of athleisure, uh, <laughs> but if I if I had those skills, uh, my history of the prosperity gospel would have been better. <laughs> well, uh, it's hard to make your book any better. I'm not here to flatter you, but 
but I accept. But yes. please continue. But go on. Yes, receive just a couple of details. This of flattery. Nice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this book has helped me so much in uh, not only producing my own content and like putting some actual like uh, beefiness behind it, but also writing my own book. I mean, I've cited several things from your book uh, in my oh, book. Thanks. Um, so I appreciate you, you know, helping me hit my word count. No, it's uh, <laughs> 10 years of my life and I'm honored <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to have ruined my life for the sake of, but really it was, it was a joy to write because as a historian, all you want to do is set the table for a conversation that you really want other people to have. So it really is an honor to, to like, to be part of a conversation with, with you and other folks who are just kind of wondering like, how did this get so big so fast? Yeah. And it's kind of a, um, uh, an interesting plight to take on. Uh, I, I would be interested to know what maybe drew you to the prosperity gospel at all, because most Christians either really subscribe to it or write it off or, yeah. but for you to want to go research, it seems interesting to me. Not many people are wanting to do that. And now that it's produced, it makes sense. Like, dude, why didn't anyone else write such a, like, there's so much detail there and it's such a like, well, yeah, that was kind of the thing was, I think the reason no one had written the history before me was, they'd have to map the whole stupid network of where all those churches were. And half your like, book is the map. Yeah, it's just like network. mapping. Well, because here's how it goes. You go like this. Oh, man, there's this theology that believes that God wants to give you health and wealth. Gosh, I wonder who subscribes to that. Oh, let me just ask this local megachurch pastor who is uh, riding a motorcycle around on stage. I'll just mm. interview him in his office. Um, excuse me, sir. Are you a prosperity preacher? And they're just like, no. No. Like, well, actually, but do you believe that God wants to reward you? Yes. So that would make you a Christian. Okay. I'm not sure we're getting anywhere here. (laughs) So I had to map the, like, I had to figure out like, what does it mean if you're a prosperity believer to like, if you, you know, walk like a duck and talk like a duck, then maybe in this case you are a prosperity duck. Yeah. That was, that was ended up being about 10 years of of work to just answer that question. That's wild. And so that was the, it was that the entire time you were spending, like, this is ignorant of me, the entire time you were spending getting your PhD. So like 10 years, is a lot of time, or is that post PhD as well? Yeah, no, I started, I started prosperity research when I was uh, going into my master's program. So I was like uh, 23 and rural focused. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, Hey, I'm going to show up at every place this Toyota Previa van stops on my <laughs> drive from the middle of Canada to the East Coast. And wow. I just made a commitment that early on, I would just try to figure out the scope of it. And then I did my PhD on it. And then, you know how obsession works. You I just do. become increasingly interested in something that makes you weirder at parties. And that's where that went. Yeah. So like your intro line was like, yeah. So like, what do you do? Well, I, I'm researching prosperity gospel. Like, yeah, did you leave with that in the bar? But I have this Excel, Excel spreadsheet I'd, I'd very much like for you to take a look at. It goes all the way back to the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It was the number of sentences I've started with. It was the late 19th century. <laughs> it is pretty significant. But seriously, though, it was the late 19th century. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it uh, 10 years is such a long chunk of time. What did you find? So, I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to read this it's called Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel. And it started out as your PhD dissertation. And then did you sell it to Oxford University or did they get wind of it? Or how did that work? Um, yeah, I wrote, I really wanted to. So the great goal of any professor is um, we usually are really trying to sell out what we call library copies, like the 500 or so libraries around the world who buy it. And we're like, if we get there and we're, we're not even being facetious because if you get to be part of like the seedbed of how people get ideas, we get really excited. So I was like, I'm going to get my 500 copies in my, <laughs> my 500 libraries. And the way to do that is, you know, you pick an elite press and you feel really lucky. And I really just wanted, um, I wanted pastors and anyone who kind of wonders what that church down the street really believes to just have a, like a, a framework. So I don't so much care if they know, like, if they love my 17 appendices, but mm-hmm. I really loved mapping out kind of a, like what we would say, like a historical theology of it. So like, what are the primary themes? Like, what do they mean when they say faith? What do they mean yeah. when they say favor? Um, yeah. Health. So the main themes were faith, 
health, wealth, and what I called victory? And how does this shape the, make plausible a whole spiritual world that Christians can live inside? Because it's really easy to caricature the, you know, the dude on the motorcycle with Mm -hmm. the beautiful smoking hot wife. Um, (laughs) Look at her. Look at her. (laughs) Isn't she she great, folks? (laughs) Like everyone's a Vanna White of your Pat Sajak. Um, (laughs) But it was, it felt good to say, um, like what makes it, uh, what makes it a beautiful world for the people in the pews, what feels rich and real and what feels, uh, punitive about mm-hmm. a story about how all suffering is evidence of lack of faith. Did you find, well, I'll ask it a different way. You're very good at keeping, staying in the middle about it. Like a lot of people, when you start to talk about prosperity gospel, get real heated and real opinionated real quick. And I'm you, sure you don't know anything about that as you gather all of the heat for that on the live on the internet i haven't completely lived that every second of my life for the past year (laughs) by any means but you uh were able to get in i mean you were traveling with benny hinn right and you were traveling with maybe some of these other big name faith healers big name uh prosperity preachers and they they were able to bring you into the fold it wasn't like they were I assume that it didn't feel like they were battling you or trying to prove themselves to you. Yeah. Well, and leaders and believers are always kind of a different thing. I mean, if the higher up a prosperity preacher is, they, they really see most academics in the same way that see journalists, which is they, they don't like press that isn't theirs. Um, and most mega church pastors of that scale, uh, are not, um, especially in that tradition are not very open to outsiders, but, I did spend a lot of time um, on tour buses in the Holy Land or yeah, <laughs> um, just trying to figure out um, when you invest, when you invest in a faith like that, what, what feels like, um, what feels like a reward? We might talk about like health and wealth, but like most of the miracles that people want in their lives are, are pretty basic. Like yeah. we want our kids to love us and we want our spouse to find us reasonably funny mm-hmm. if that's still a hope, hope of ours <laughs> and we want enough money to um to feel like the world is somehow possible and yeah. that. so i it was it was much easier it was you know i have some strong feelings about some leaders but i found it very easy to have like a soft heart about the about the folks in the pews that i spent so much time well, with such a great uh, characteristic to have because it's very hard for people to have that if like if you're interacting with somebody that doesn't believe the same things as you a lot of people are very quick to be like no screw you this is wrong uh how did you even get an intro into like getting on the tour bus in the holy land yeah. like because that's not an email saying hey i'm a journalist can i follow you around how did that work? oh no but they they want money and so if you pay <laughs> they will take that money okay so that uh, makes- so it's actually a lot easier than uh anticipated all it takes um, is money so you also so and I did spend um two years in a in a really in a small uh storefront uh prosperity church. So I wanted to spend a lot of t- time in big prosperity mega churches and I wanted to spend a lot of time in like a little kind of failing prosperity yeah. church and and um and just ask uh yeah, what makes world life feel good and fair? Um where do people's faith experiences break down? What do we as sort of mainstream Christians have to learn from it? I also just have like a, you know, evil Jesus loving heart. And so I just, I want, I always like want to be, I mean, using like evil conspiratorial fingers here, but like, I always just like kind of want to be where the energy is. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. I'm like, how do I get it? And, and you just have that natural sense of curiosity. I, I think I read that, but are your, both your parents professors or historians? Yeah, we're all, it goes nerd all the way up so and you down. Got the bug. This, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tell me more. The <laughs> desire to like, my dad and always spend said- spend your time the, doing it. Take your time. Oh, no, no. Just <laughs> five or 10 years old. But my dad, uh, my dad always said the key to success is the ability to keep your butt in a chair for an inordinate period of time. And by that measure, I was in, enormously successful. <laughs> <laughs> it's not measured by dollars. It's not measured by reach. Yeah. It's measured no, by no. hours spent working on the thing yeah yeah this but this chair (laughs) that's awesome i i need i mean i need my attention span is so low i need more of that in my life um (laughs) i want to ask so i mean you're the you know potentially everything there is to know about the history of prosperity gospel 
one of the things that really I think about a lot now, because I care a lot about the prosperity gospel and learning more about it, but I have more of a heated distaste for it because it just, fe- you don't have to agree or disagree. I feel like it is a gross abuse of like, it makes God an ATM and that, mm-hmm. that puts God in such a small box and he's so much bigger and more powerful and more creative than any Gucci purse or any job promotion could ever afford to us. Um, but I want to get your thoughts on the, you talk a little bit about, it, but like soft prosperity gospel. And now yeah. there's a, there's this whole wave of more motivational pep rally type preaching yeah. Yeah. that I think is basically more pernicious. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> the, I, I call it the prosperity gospel of old, just with a better jawline. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, they do. And a light stubble. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I put it under like a spectrum of hard to soft prosperity. Hard prosperity being maybe that caricature that we imagine, which is pretty like heavily supernaturalist. Um, sometimes it uses almost like exorcist language uh-huh. of like, uh, God's going to intervene, you know, uh, you know, COVID be gone, uh, small jets, uh, because <laughs> God miraculously multiplied you know, money in a uh-huh. hat, that sort of, um, it's a very like, uh, what I'd say like instrumentalist, like you pray, prayer is a tool. Faith is like a switch. You flip it and, and then God acts. Um, I've always thought that the future of the prosperity gospel though, was in a soft prosperity, which is a Joel Osteen, a combination of it's a, it's a Steve Furtick for sure. It's the combination of prosperity with evangelicalism that, that borrows largely from, um, you know, so evangelicalism is a heart religion always. Mm -hmm. And as a heart religion, it also, the the funny thing is though, the more it adopted like the, the mental strategies, the mental language of the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to harness positive thoughts and you just need to secure your blessing, your thinking, the idea that like it moved from kind of a heart to a mind religion uh, it, I mean, part of it is just because American culture became increasingly psychological in the way we talk. So mm. we don't argue. We say, I feel, yeah, yeah. I feel, um, and this is part that of like the, 14 like, times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a way we soften our language to make it therapeutic. Like, Oh, it's experiential. I just feel it. Um, but it's, it's part of the way that psychological idioms has become, um, so prevalent that our, our heart religion has become one where, uh, we've borrowed a lot of what prosperity gospel was doing all along. And so when you have a church that has all the optimism and the, um, uh, God just wants to love you, but then you add to it the sense that endless spiritual progress is also going to involve a happier family and job success. And, this beautiful man at the front with his gorgeous Christmas card family. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you have the recipe for soft prosperity. You have this overarching sense that like God is going to make all things right within the course of your human life. And it's harder to name sometimes because they're usually on the surface anti-prosperity. But if you, if you see their, you know, anything from like their person and like, (laughs) you know, their home to their, um, and that's why a part of what I think is so compelling about um, preachers and sneakers is uh, they it's it's an aesthetic argument, right? It's a visual argument, yeah. and it's like it's in the music and it's in the it's performed as much as it is preached. Mm-hmm. And the performative part is actually really hard to describe, and that's why it's so fun when you like break it down by body. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I got you. I know what's going on. And I I uh, I didn't know I was doing that at the time. I I mean, people from both sides either think I'm acting on behalf of Satan or acting on behalf of God, depending on how you view it. But like very, I uh, had no strategy or plan for that kind of thing. Like I just was for some reason one morning triggered by a YouTube video I saw and I happened yeah. to recognize the sneakers. Yeah, yeah. And I happened to know that I had a like the layout app on my on my phone. And I was like, hey, people probably don't know how much these shoes are worth. And then I just did that a few times. And for whatever reason, just that, uh, the, the visual, it's just so poignant, I guess that it It is that it just says it forces everyone to deal with it in that very moment. Like, Oh, those shoes are worth a thousand dollars. All, all circumstances aside, what do I feel about that? And everyone lost their mind. 
Well, it solves the problem that I had in that first moment of every interview is asking someone to say, are you a prosperity preacher? Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that like I could have done, I could have written it. I could have made the same argument if I just did a survey of every parking lot in, in every megachurch in the country and just be able to look at. As far as the um, types of vehicles that were in the parking lot? Yeah, and the vanity plates. Yeah. <laughs> and the his and hers. Too blessed to be stressed. There's a lot of too blessed to be. So I've seen some, I've seen too blessed to be stressed yachts. I've seen, I love it. Oh but it's, God. um yeah, it's performed as much as it is um, explicitly said. Yeah, and I, I, it was surprising to me that that form of it wasn't so strictly called out as the Kenneth Copeland's and Paula White's of the world. I mean, Joel... Osteen now is is kind of the caricature for prosperity like a lot of people at least in the evangelical world kind of write Joel Osteen off as the prosperity guy now um but I mean New York Times did uh 10 religious podcasts you should be listening to and this is the thing with prosperity preaching as much as they're inside for insiders like evangelicals a caricature of uh like a foil against which people want to compare themselves from the outside um it looks it looks a lot like just self-esteem. And so the confusion between that and, and self-help that's in a, it's like, um, there's a word for when tissue paper, we started calling it Kleenex. Like we attribute a thing, like a product uh, yeah. with a brand. And like, that's, that's exactly what's been happening is we, uh, the, the mainstreaming of prosperity and making these like category confusions has made it really tricky to call it out without the kind of specificity you're talking about. And it's so, uh, that form of it is so acceptable now. Like we've got Kanye and Chance the Rapper and Justin Bieber that are kind of saying like, Hey, look, we are super mainstream and we subscribe to Christianity now. And now the mainstream has to be like, wait, okay. So, so maybe this self-help or this, uh, self-esteem, version of Christianity is okay. And it's okay. If, yeah. Uh, and, uh, seeing that form of it seems more acceptable than maybe the more yeah. traditional Southern Baptist. I mean, I'm from the South and so I frame yeah. a lot of things by like Southern Baptist type thing. Um, it's just an interesting like yeah. culture to be in right now. And it's generational too. I mean, you can watch it with the rise of Lakewood church, like Joel Osteen's church. So it started with his dad, John Osteen. And if you looked at pictures of what that church looked like 20 years ago, it was suit and tie Pentecostals and long skirts with one lady with the microphone on stage, <laughs> probably singing a, um, the cross, the cross, the, not the rugged cross. There was a little too much suffering in that one. But, yeah. um, and then it became, it became bigger. It became, um, Slicker. I wrote an article one time with um, my friend, Wen Reagan, who is also, he's a professor, but also a worship pastor. And we did one where you could just see the performance change from um, the move from stage lights, where it used to be that all the house lights were on, everyone could see each other. And that's what church felt like. And then Mm -hmm. the second they moved to um, spotlights, all of a sudden you made a person, like they started wearing, if you're a woman, you started wearing makeup. Eventually now they're getting Botox. But like the conflation of entertainment yeah. culture with old timey um, Pentecostal praise culture, that radically transformed how people performed yeah. God's goodness, especially on women's bodies. Holy crap. Like they became um, thinner, blonder, regardless of race. <laughs> it was just bizarre how, how quickly they all women were, were sort of morphed into our um, our... America's next top model sort of yeah, dysmorphia. That's, and I'm sure at the micro level, none of them were consciously like, doing yeah. that. But at a macro yeah. level, kind of like the sneakers, it is a cultural shift. Yeah. We have yeah. to, uh, my whole deal is like, I just learned about this word iconoclast, we're basically like questioning things in the culture. Um, that's what I want to do is at least ask the question of, is this the best way to be worshiping the creator of the universe? Like, I'm not saying that it's bad and people say, Oh, that's the most millennial answer ever, like non-committal to both sides. But I really don't know if it's bad that we have this kind of entertainment component of church because it uh, undoubtedly brings people in. But if you don't uh, actually meet that with some meaty topics, like 
I mean, actually talking about the gospel, if you believe in the gospel, then it really is just entertainment. And I want, I want people to wrestle with that. I think. Well, it's, it's hard to, because, um, in the late 19th century, it was actually earlier than the late 19th century, but like evangelicals have struggled forever about whether our measurements tell us whether we're moving in the right direction. Like, um, so like the, the fact that if you ask a church, if they're effective, they'll always tell you how many people they have, how many seats they have, how many bodies are there. The turn toward metrics started with the missionary movement where they're trying to measure impact. And they were like, you know, they were trying to figure out what they called the, you know, 60, 40 window, like what is an unevangelized part of the world that they, but they ended up adopting a whole language of numbers and measurements that has never gone away. Cause they're like, how do we know for good? If yeah, like yeah. God isn't rewarding us with more and then impact became really conflated. And the problem is impact metrics. These are all, it's all language from the market. Right. And like, like the market has uses, but we've always been evangelicals desire to be relevant magazine title <laughs> um, has always driven its, its, its very tail wagging the dog on, on its love. It's deep pornographic love of the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my, that's going to be my teaser line for this podcast. The deep pornographic love of the marketplace. <laughs> you know who loves metric porn? Evangelicals. <laughs> Yeah. And I, but I, I also don't really, I don't, uh, I understand how we're here. Like I, I, yeah. I don't know what else we could have done or at the time or even now, like people want to see what their money's doing. So like if they're tithing to a church, mm-hmm. I assume churches feel obligated or being asked like, Hey, what are you doing with my money? And yeah. so now they have to compile some types of stats like, well, we did, we fed such yeah. and such a meals. We planted such and such a church. We sent yeah. such and such a missionaries, but it does start to become more about that than actual life change. Yeah. How do you measure spiritual formation? And when you combine a metrics movement with, and this is what my next book ended up being about preacher's wife, about celebrity women, you combine a deep love of numbers with a real category confusion about whether your pastor is a celebrity. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you are very confused about whether people who are not 110 pounds are allowed to lead worship. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Wait, like, wait. I like I've read I read so I, I'm not being facetious because I read this entire series of megachurch debates about whether um, whether if someone was overweight, it like interrupted the anointing of the spirit. And that's all they're saying is, is you are not your body is not market approved. And if we're going to be attractional, we need to have people who are beautiful and perform God's goodness in a way that invites more people in you know sorry anyone whose body doesn't conform to and so like we do get confused like people oh every oh it's you just if you google megachurch worship pastor fat you will find (laughs) that like a bajillion megachurches have have struggled with you know what you've named with sneakers is the perform the prosperity performance in a variety of ways and and we do it with the sexuality of our, you know, like women. We're like, how short are their skirts? How mm-hmm. are they? Like, how are we modeling um, celebrity perfection in a sanctified way? Yeah. This has taken up really, oh, what is it? 50 years. It started in the 70s. We've done this for 50 years now. Yeah. It's just getting, it's getting more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think we're going to see a pendulum swing back. I interviewed all kinds of women who are like, I get criticized at I wear the same dress two videos in a row as if like the Lord is not glorified. Should you, that's should so you have worn up. that J crew sweater? <laughs> oh, that is I tell so you, that's how up. the anointing stops for sure. When you wear the same the anointing. Yeah. Once. Yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, if, I would never be caught dead wearing the same pair of cargo shorts two Sundays <laughs> in a row. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this polo shirt? Never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I just don't know what to do about it. So like, I agree that there's gotta be a, there's going to be a pendulum swing back, like maybe even over indexing to the other direction of uh, breaking up into home churches or something. Like I totally understand how it happens. Like some dudes and girls, really good communicators, really attractive, really down to earth, cool people. Of course they're going to grow their platforms and be asked to come speak 
and they can evoke emotion in people yeah. and that's yeah. really marketable. And I don't, I don't fault them for that. I mean, clearly God has given them a gift to be able to public speak, but uh, I start to have a problem with when they become celebrities because in, in turn you're elevating a person I mean, it really makes me question the whole concept of celebrities at all. Like if you're a Christian saying, I'm going to elevate this person as an idol, whether or not I admit it or not, more so than the person that is actually worth worshiping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we get confused, too, about because we have all this language in our faith about um, testimony and witness. It's like we believe that the biographies of our lives are spiritually significant. We do. And so, of course, we want to see that embodied in a person. But when we start having on-staff photographers that go to our pastor's homes to capture them in the wild of parenting, (laughs) the, the performance of perfection is really punitive for suffering people. Yeah, like that's where my soft little heart breaks open, which is... You know, I've had um, a lot of suffering in my life, and I do think that our theologies of Instagram have have not served the church well. Yeah, and uh, for the people that are listening that don't know who Kate is, she also, you've said it in public, you have stage four mother-freaking colon cancer, which is terrible. And uh, as far as I know, it doesn't have a cure. And so to me, you are this person that represents a living counter to the whole notion that God is here to give you earthly goods and services and health and promotions. And, uh, when I, when I heard about you from Joel McHale, um, shouts out to Joel McHale. I I knew I had to talk to you because you, your whole life is representative that like you, you got closer than anyone else other than their wives to the, the (laughs) most, uh, like in the most platonic way, uh, to the most powerful. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> You're like I can sexually, tell you emotionally, <laughs> the whole gamut. That's what this interview is about. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. Um, but you got closest to all these mega faith healers that say, sow a seed, God will heal you. God is here to heal you. God is here to bless you. God is here to save that relationship to give you that promotion, to get you out of debt, all those kind of things. And the thing that you care about a lot now is letting people suffer and say, this could be random or this could be, there doesn't have to be a reason for this. And admittedly, I've read Blessed. I haven't read uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and The Preacher's Wife yet. I ordered them today. And so they (laughs) should be in tomorrow. Um, and I know that's, that's a bad look for somebody interviewing somebody, but I just didn't have time to read three books. <laughs> you read, you read blessed. And that was a lot. That for was sure. a lot. I recognize that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it was a, is a lot of words on in that It book. is. And they're big words too. I'm still a Duke <laughs> divinity school professor. Um, could you maybe talk about your philosophy about that? Because I was listening, sure. uh, it's going to make me, uh, emotional for some reason. Um, I just heard you talking to like Sarah Bessie today, just about how like yeah. suffering people that are suffering don't need uh, words about it's going to be okay. Or yeah. it's um, yeah. like, Hey, I've been there, man. Or like, Hey, at least you're at the best cancer hospital in the world. Um, yeah. I, I like going up to this interview. I, I was like, for some reason, I know I'm going to get emotional about this and I have no reason to get emotional about it other than just like, there's so much freedom in like, uh, yeah. Like having bad yeah. things happen to you. Yeah. And then not, uh, yeah. Not having to be like, well, uh, God's clearly doing something with this or, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, that's so right. could you talk about yeah. that? Just like your whole sure. philosophy around that. I want to get myself together. Yeah, of course. No, thanks buddy. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, because, you know, with prosperity theology, as much as I thought like, oh, I'm just a careful observer, I'm writing these histories, I, um, it is a kind of poison that seeps in when you start to wonder if, if the second that you're suffering, like maybe you are not good, yeah. like maybe God doesn't love you, <clears throat> maybe, maybe other people's prayers get answered yeah. and not yours. And you're like, you're so desperate to live that you're like 
you're just trying to find the lever that you can pull that gets you back to the person that you were. And right. I lost, I just lost so much so fast. Like I had like finally had this kid that I just like always wanted. Yeah. And so I had this like little, just about to turn two year old that always smelled like cookies. Mm. And I just had this life that I, was so grateful for. And as much as you're like, you try not to be, you try not to get confused that like, Oh, maybe I'm the exemption to the idea that bad things happen. It does feel really deeply like disorienting. Isn't even the right word. Like when something terrible happens to you, it's just like a bomb goes off and you like you, like you always expected the bad thing to happen to somebody else. Yeah. And all of a sudden your life is the one being taken apart. And like, and then the weirdest part is that there's like a little half breath where even the people who love you are just like, yeah, but why? Right. Like they just, they want to know. It's not just prosperity. You? It's like everybody, like they want to know. If you're the person selling essential oils, you're trying to figure out if like what I ate or is it genetic or like, I just want to know the reason. Cause if I know the reason I can get back to the feeling that that it's going to happen to you, not me. Mm. And it's, there's a very strange cruelty in our culture, which is just the flip side to our, our like, and you spirit is when you can't, and you're just like watching someone fall all the way down the most common reaction is they'll just hand you a reason. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, I've done my part and I see this. I, I, it, it, it took me a long time to sort of, I wrote, I wrote the book, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. Cause I meant, I meant it like yeah, yeah. they were lies I've loved. Like I did sort of believe that I was special and that right. if I worked really hard and I had an, amazing personality like that I was gonna like get somewhere different and so it's been hard to like reconcile my like my performative prosperity gospel mm-hmm. with like the reality that that like there is just no cure to being human yeah and there's uh some things won't have an explanation or don't have to be yeah. formulaic no, yeah. no, they don't. They don't. And the, it's hard to, and like, it's hard to surrender formulas because we are like heat seeking missiles about <laughs> wanting to just like, know, like, give me a plan and I'll, I'll run the plan. Like I'll, I'll do the math. Yeah. But, uh, so that's been horrible. <laughs> Those are daily comforts to just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life. Petting your pups, smashing the snooze button. And of course that first cup of Joe in the morning. These are things that you count on every day to help you get where you want to go. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It's the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through email, a custom app, or printed magazine. Enjoy a free 30-day trial of their email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's upperroom.org slash welcome to get your first 30 days free. That it's probably taken a long time for you to be able to just laugh about it. I mean, it's still a hard, terrible thing. And there's no taking away from that. But I do appreciate your grace in the whole thing. Because so many people that don't have cancer show up and being like, please make me feel better about your cancer and I, I, I definitely, do. I definitely I don't do. want to do that. I do want them to feel better about my, I don't want them to feel better about my cancer. No, you need well, to feel a little bit of this. Yeah. And I've had like, you know, it's been four years since my diagnosis. I have, I'm so grateful for how well I've done given the, the diagnosis I was handed. I, yeah. I do feel far more hope that I will outlive people like a beautiful vampire, you know, more than I did before, before they just kept handing me like one year. And then I'd be like, or like, no, but they hand me like three months and I'd be like, well, let's see what we can do. That. What so do you, I, what do you do with that? Like when, the, like you have to start yeah. doing the math about all the things to do in the next three months, like, all right, yeah. I should trust your judgment. You're a doctor or you're a 
yeah. surgeon, you're saying I have probably three months. Well, what I'll be honest. I'm like crazy good at pandemic world. I'm like you? really because you, yeah, I am because you give me a you give me an uncertain, terrifying time frame. <laughs> I get real productive. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I mean, we could go into it now. It's like, what does it look like now? Like, I, you know, I don't have cancer yet. Uh, or from what I, <laughs> my friend I, Ben used to joke about that. He was, I was like, how are you doing? And he has this like wonderfully light depressive humor. And he was always, he's like, well, I'm living my pre-cancer life. But then when I got cancer, he didn't say it anymore. And yeah. I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's true. Like I, the world feels so heavy. And if you spend any time on Twitter, it just yeah. pours gasoline onto it. Yeah. yeah. Someone that had hard things going on before that. Yeah. What does it look like now? Like, what are you holding on to now? Yeah. And what is yeah. maybe helping you during this time? Well, I mean, the trick is to figure out, like, because the main thing is, like, how do you live after certainty, right? Like, I have hope. I have hope. But, like, I have no certainty. Yeah. And and that's what the pandemic asks of everybody is, like, we don't get to decide when a vaccine allows us all to return to spitting into each other's open mouths like we did before, <laughs> as I was, was prone to time. do. It was a huge part of my process and journey. Um, thank you. Um, so we don't get to return to, we don't get any certainty, but like, this is the great, like, this is the great gift of, um, of God's presence yeah. and like are learning to, and it's not just like live in the moment. It's like, no, no, no. How do you, how do you live in this space where you, you grapple honestly with the fact that none of us are handed certainty. And then we say like, how do we find truth and beauty and meaning even so? And like, yeah. if I could just like sum up all, all my theology into anything, it would just be even so like, even so Lord Jesus come, even so it is well with my soul. Yeah. Like I he, don't get to pick. He's good regardless. Even so, and I don't have to really even defend God being awesome. You know, yeah. I was that way. Everyone's always like, but God is good all the time. Right. And I was like, well, it feels less good right now, frankly. <laughs> like right now it doesn't feel. <laughs> but I do, I do know that like, I do know that God draws near to the suffering. I yeah. do know that like the worst and like what it says, you know, God draws near to the, like the, we're supposed to, we're supposed to seek out the widow, the, the poor and the imprisoned and the orphaned Orphan, and, yeah. I honestly thought like, um, oh, it's because like that's what good people do, and that's probably a good idea. And I, it was only when I was sick that I realized like, oh no, 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 it is like God draws near to the weak. Yeah. Like God's like bananas love is just is weirdly just there, like radiating from it. So it's not like people have like it's there's no. It's just the place where God resides is in yeah. our weakness, and, and it so, doesn't manifest itself potentially as fixing the problem no, it is him no. just being there in yeah. it with you yeah. however that looks yeah and I've had I've had I've had miracles in my life and I've had absolutely dead silence yeah <laughs> like and like a theology has to be an account of God's love has to be big enough for both yeah yeah because the the moment that he is silent or it feels like he's silent yeah. And your theology is based on like, well, God's got to be here and fix these things. Yeah. Now it, I, I, maybe it was on your podcast. Somebody, uh, maybe it was Sarah Bess referred to it as like uh, steam on a mirror, like your theology, yeah. or maybe you said it. I, I, I watched it. No, she said that. She said like, if your account of God is that God needs to fix these problems in this way, that like, then when God doesn't, that God, the God, you know, literally disappears from your life, like, like steam from on a mirror. And I thought that was, it's so beautiful and so and that's been like the fun part about having this like everything happens podcast is there's intense loneliness in any kind of once you realize you're in life after certainty there's like a huge loneliness and it's been amazing to like develop language in conversation with people who like know what it's like yeah and then and then to like cuz all of us are looking for the kind of hope and language to keep going Right. You know, even so. Yeah. And I, uh, I listened to your, or I watched your interview with uh, Andy and Sandra Stanley, and you said something at the very end that I thought was pretty profound. You said, faith doesn't approximate certainty, or maybe he quoted from your book, it says faith doesn't approximate certainty. Do you mind talking about that a little bit or what, what that means yeah. to you? Cause it stuck out to me, but I, I would like to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, that language of faith that, 
we sometimes absorb from the prosperity gospel um, and in a different way from evangelicalism is that um, faith will always feel like being sure. Faith is a power that's wielded by us. Faith is sort of an expression of our confidence in ourselves and in God. And I just like, not found <laughs> and you know like blessed assurance jesus is mine i'm really not feeling a ton of assurance when like my abdomen is being carved into yeah. um but i do um because it's hard not to want like our faith to to force us to be like no no this is a contractual agreement we've entered into like i yeah. do awesome stuff god does awesome stuff look at us we're doing awesome stuff together <laughs> um yeah and so surrendering the transactionalism of that, which you mentioned at the beginning, like surrendering the if this, then that, um, getting to a more like generous place of what does, um, what does faith look like if uh, there is not, a, if there never is a desired outcome? Yeah. Um, I find that like it feels a lot less like confidence and just like so much more like love because mm-hmm. I you know I, I think I have like pretty sophisticated beliefs you put me through a doctrinal obstacle course like I kind of crush it <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like I don't really think in the end that's what's like that has been the life-altering story yeah. of my faith having that I doesn't it, afford you the answers I didn't get more even though I was like pretty good at it yeah. <laughs> And yeah. it was mostly this, the, the less I was, the more God just showed up. So, yeah, I'm trying to, uh, I, I know what you're saying. Like the, it's not a confidence. It's just like, uh, would you say it's like a relief just to say, I legit am not expecting a good outcome from this, or I, I legit am not expecting this to have a bow on it by the end yeah. of it. Well, because each tradition, each like denomination has a different account of what faith is supposed to be, how much it's supposed to get us in the story of God's interaction with us. Like if you're, if you come from a reformed tradition, you're going to expect God to do all all the work. We're just like a passive vehicle. You know, thanks, John Piper. (laughs) Um, And then if you're, you know, from a more uh, Arminian uh, tradition, you're going to be... so that's like most evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. You're going to expect the person to do most of the work of faith. Hope you did your devotionals this morning. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. you don't have any. <laughs> um, but like, I do find that like the progress narrative is that God wants to change us. But the, I, I do find that like, the more we surrender our progress narrative, the more God helps like map the world around us, help us figure out like who we can be to each other mm-hmm. and to God. It feels a lot less like a self-help narrative than I thought it would. Yeah. And that's what I, I appreciate your posture and all these things because it's it's kind of refreshing because most people, we've already said this, but most people want a formula for how to, na- I mean, that's this is why Christian publishing self-help stuff sells so well. Yeah. Because it has its own list in the New York Times. Yeah. People, self-help and advice. Yeah, and, and people make millions off of yeah, they do. regurgitating the like, yeah. Your bootstraps up type thing. Yeah. And the girl wash your face version of our Lord and Savior. Yes, exactly. And if I could pick any single, so like you have your snarky thing where you're just like, if I could dismantle this with my cold bare hands, I would. Uh-huh. If I could rip the esophagus out of any theology, she said. Come on. Benignly. It would be a girl wash your face conflation of like it's this multi-level you. marketing. Yeah. Just hard, like harder, faster, good, better, best. Yeah you know, eat this, try this. Yeah. Like it's, sex tips. It's just <laughs> unreal. The number of things that are, are put under the umbrella of God want, God wants the best for you. Yeah. And the, the annoying thing to me is that that is just always going to sell the best. Like yeah. as both of us, like you're an incredibly accomplished author. I hope to be one day just knowing that books that we write are going to be, well, I'm not put a book that I write is never going to be in the same category as someone like TD Jakes that says that can basically throw something together that says, yeah. here are all the great things God wants for you. Here's how to do yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, everyone is so drawn to that. It's the same, like how there's a, a formula for 
action movies, like Marvel movies. It's all pretty much the same thing because yeah. we know what people want. Yeah. And you're the type yeah. of person that's saying, Hey, and what I want to, the type of person I want to be that says like, Hey, is this, is this truth or is this the best way? Or is this actually helping versus hurting people? Like you represent yeah. a segment of people that, uh, the self-help industry doesn't really want to acknowledge a ton. What? I'm doing great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's right. And I, you know, and it's hard to articulate. I've struggled with this with, um, when I'm trying to explain like the work of the everything happens project and the, this, all the stuff we put out is when you say you're anti self-help, they're like, so you, you don't believe in hope and you don't believe in progress. It's, it's hard to articulate a negative for them, but, um, the, the, the dream I have is that we have better language for limited agency. Agency is just like our ability to act. Uh-huh. But like, we are not. We have to live in that space between everything is possible and nothing is possible. Yeah, That is the place where we have to set up shop. And unfortunately, Christianity has gravitated, gotten very confused between God can do all things and mm-hmm. looking into the mirror and saying, everything is possible today. Bob. Yeah. So Philippians we, 413. Get in there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's, uh, are you, are you, is that what you're working on now as far as actually putting to paper the language that goes into that space or is that, or is that more of your life goal yeah. now? Yeah. Well, yeah. If I were going to pick anything, I'd pick that. I'd pick us getting off the treadmill of good, better, best. Yeah. yeah. Would. But I, um, you know, the, we have the, you know, weekly podcast where we talk to, I, you know, I talk to like the surgeon general or uh-huh. like, it's, it's a, it's a chance to, what I really want is I want I want thick language that we can all use to help us flesh out this beautiful middle place where we can see our lives as possible, but not guaranteed mm-hmm. and like live beautifully there. And I'm writing a book about how we spend our time, like given that we have limited choices and how does that affect? Cause the first book was about like why bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So the second memoir, I guess for, I don't know, fourth, I don't know, whatever book uh, is something like. Um, this is your fourth book that yeah. you're working on now. Yes, that's accurate. Yes, that's right. It's a lot of books. Yeah, it is a lot of, it's a many, it is of the many, <laughs> many, my dad many always, books. Of the, yeah, 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 yeah. Thick, leather-bound leather books. books. Rich mahogany. <laughs> yeah, a lot of rich, a lot of wine and cheese functions <laughs> in my life. But like, then um, how does this shape the way that we, we make the decisions? If not everything is possible, how do we live beautifully? Yeah. Is that the tagline? No, it's called the anti-bucket list. Oh, okay. That's a good line. You should put that in your book. If not, I'm, I'll still. Okay, it. I'll, I'll, I'll write it right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So I want to I want to give you the opportunity to promo a few things because I uh, everything happens podcast. I listened to maybe three or four episodes. Really great conversations, and you're already using the language. I mean, clearly, people that talk to you feel this very deep sense of connection with you because they know that you're going through yeah. the shit, and yeah. uh, you don't sugarcoat it. And you also allow people to not sugarcoat their own things. And so that's what I've really appreciated about your podcast. And I hope, oh, it, I hope it continues to blow up. Um, how long have you been doing the podcast? Since I released the memoir. So about two years, but we only just recently switched to a weekly and a weekly is fun. Oh yeah. A weekly is fun. Cause we can talk to like so many fun people. Do you do yeah. it from home or do you have a studio? Uh, well, we used to have, <laughs> when, when people were people, uh, we had, uh, we had a studio, we were, uh, we always taped in the NPR studios. Oh, slight um, flex. Oh, no, no, no. It's cause I have an NPR voice. Just a lot of light saliva sounds. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Okay, it's over. my, it's my thing. These are my people. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, our demographic is what we call sound at NPR, which is just Sad. like smart people who've like had something happen in there. Cause our two primary audiences with everything is like the person who really gets that life comes apart. And very often they're like, they're, they're thinking about, um, everything from like a miscarriage or taking care of a special needs child to yeah. caring for an elderly parent, or just like the losses we get from aging. And then a ton of our listeners are just like, they're like, 
they're tired. Yeah. They like have important jobs that make them feel too much. Yeah. So that's a great, that's kind of the community that we, that we sustain. I, we also have like, um, an online community platform called lifetogetherapart.com. And we have about 4,000, almost 5,000 participants. Wow. That, um, what does that look like? Well, we just went through an Easter course because we're like, pandemic. <laughs> I don't, like, how do we have hope? This is horrible. Um, and then uh, we've been, uh, so we have a, a monthly book club where we sort of read together. So we've been using the platform to have conversations around the book that the that part of the project was named after, which is a, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he wrote a book called um, Life Together. He okay. was a pastor in Nazi Germany, and they were made made churches illegal. Yeah. So everyone was dispersed in a kind of a similar way that the pandemic has forced people apart. He plotted so, to kill Hitler or something. That's his. He that was, was kind of, of his... into it. He wasn't super enthusiastic about Hitler's continued life on Earth. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and what I love is he it. was <laughs> he was also like just a super badass professor who like gave up having a cushy life to to take care of other pastors and I that kind of. That's That's kind of like your, uh, your, my Rambo version. Yeah. yeah. If I were, (laughs) if you and I could have a combined persona, it would be a little Navy seal historian for Jesus, (laughs) but also probably a pacifist, but also best. Yeah. Pacifist. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it would be with daggers of my eyes. (laughs) I really hope these eye daggers do a lot of good work. (laughs) So good. Uh, so you have, uh, Apparently you only have 24 hours in a day, but you have a podcast, a fourth book, you have a book club, you have a, uh, (laughs) you do speaking engagements, I guess back when we could wear shoes and stuff. (laughs) Like that's been my downfall too. People don't even even go to church anymore or wear shoes. And so my content has also significantly gone down. Um, (laughs) How do you do it? I mean, I've talked with maybe two of your assistants. Maybe that's how you do it. Harriet and uh, Jessica. Is that? Yeah. Jessica's my producer. Uh, yeah. Well, I've got a great team. And we're, so we're based out of Duke Divinity School. And part of our dream is, um, so when I, so I, I teach throughout the year and uh, I, I teach pastors and nonprofit workers. And wow. so I really want, I really want us to be participating in really like, I want us to be a, a like a hospitality industry just mm-hmm. to like offer resources to people who want to think theologically about the hard questions of like hope and resilience. And I want to offer people stuff that like, honestly, I just need to, I want the world to have more than like the cheap paperbacks yes. they're going to find and the Instagram theologies that will put it there. Yeah, And, and I want us to have better language and more loving community around it. Yeah, that's that's an amazing that's calling, dream. and uh, but also books aren't bad. Buy Kate Bowler's books, just not. <laughs> you can buy mine, but not a paperback because cheap... I have a moral objection to it now. <laughs> yeah, just the her hardbacks. They're yeah, also yeah, it's very important to me that they're all very firm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, Kate. Uh, I've taken all of your time. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you. You've talked about the podcast. Everything happens. Everyone, please yeah. go subscribe to that. And oh, when is your thanks. new book coming out? Or is it still? Oh, uh, it'll be this year. Um, it's called the Anti Bucket List, and they can find me online at katebowler.com or you know all the regular stuff at Kate C Bowler. Okay, that's all your socials, Kate C Bowler. Yep, yep. Well, uh, Kate, thank you again. I mean, I'm incredibly encouraged, and um, you're very interesting and <laughs> very, uh, I think, are kind of once in a generation type person. Again, here's a little bit of flattery. Um, Except. but you, you're welcome. Uh, but you've really ministered to me, not only in this conversation, but through uh, your books and through thanks. the way that you navigate life. So I'm very grateful for the time and it's not, I don't take it lightly. I know you're incredibly busy. Uh, so that's so kind. Um, thanks so much. So, so the 16 people that listen to my podcast, I think we'll get a lot out of a lot out of it. So, um, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time. And, uh, I would love to maybe meet in person one day whenever Absolutely. the disease ends. All right. Done. I accept. Okay. Deal. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Preachers and Sneakers podcast. Like I said before, if you haven't, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes, on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or check out the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, really. Follow me on Instagram, at Preachers and Sneakers, Twitter, at Preachers and Sneakers with no vowels. If you want more content, you can go to PreachersandSneakers.com, check out some merch, whatever. 
I just appreciate you spending the time with me today. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember that the Lord works in mysterious colorways. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.